Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncollierville.org. So with our text this morning, we're entering into the second phase of the Gospel of Mark. In the first phase, what we've been looking at the last several weeks, Mark tells his audience that the king has come in order to inaugurate his kingdom. That this Nazarene rabbi is the Messiah of Israel and he is planting the kingdom of God on earth. And he wants his audience, his readers, to understand exactly who Jesus is. And so, as we think about Jesus and we think about the coming of the kingdom, we go back to the garden. And Mark is, particularly in our text this morning, as we transition to the second phase and we see him calling the apostles, he's saying, I want you to go back and realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. This is what I've been telling you in the first two chapters. Now, with the calling of the apostles, we are seeing more fulfillment of what the Old Testament says. And we go back to the garden, and we look at Adam and Eve, and we are reminded that Jesus, excuse me, that God came to them and said, you need to be fruitful and you need to multiply. In other words, you need to fill the earth with those that are made in the image of God, those that will worship me. And you need to bring creation under your authority and your control. And if you obey me, if you follow me, you will be blessed in a way in which you cannot possibly nor fully understand. And what happens in the garden? Well, as we've talked about, Adam and Eve sin, and the world falls under the curse of sin. And humanity is broken. And so God is moving forward with his people. And we see in Exodus that he comes to Moses and he comes to the Israelites on Mount Sinai. And he says to them, similar to what we saw in Genesis, he says to them, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. And if you obey my covenant, you are going to be blessed beyond what you can possibly understand. And you are to be a kingdom of priests to the nations. Go out into the world to those who are made in the image of God and declare that I am the one true God. Help them to understand that I am praiseworthy. Help them to understand that I am good and worthy of worship. This is the covenant that I'm establishing with you. You are my people. And what happens? Well, we we see two things. Number one, that Israel breaks the covenant. They are disobedient to the covenant time and time again. And then we also see that they fail to be a kingdom of priests. They do not take the magnificence of God to the nations. What does Israel do? They worship the gods of those nations. And so we come to the Gospel of Mark. And he is telling his readers, his audience, he's telling us that here comes the man, here comes the king who is going to 
fix everything that we see broken in the Old Testament, all the way back to Moses and the people of Israel and their covenant disobedience, all the way back to Adam and Eve and their disobedience in the garden and the fall. This is the king who is going to change everything, who's going to establish his kingdom, who is going to do a great work. And we see in verses 13 through 19 something very important. Mark shifts into the next phase. And he says, he points to Jesus who is reestablishing Israel around himself. That number 12 is significant. It's very important. There were 12 tribes in Israel. And Jesus is calling 12 apostles unto himself. What he is saying and what Mark is communicating is, here is the one true Israelite. Here is the only one who will obey the covenant perfectly. The only one who can obey the covenant perfectly. And he is redesigning, redrawing, recreating Israel around himself. That's why when Judas Iscariot died, the apostles immediately elected a new disciple to take his place because they understood the significance of 12. They understood what Jesus was doing. Jesus was creating the church that's built upon the foundation of the new covenant. And so in the first two chapters of Mark, he is presenting Jesus as the king who has come to inaugurate his kingdom. In chapter 3, he's saying not only is he the king who has come, he is also establishing his church. Now, the church did exist in the Old Testament, but it is now going to exist in a way that it never has before. And Jesus, in creating the church, in birthing the church, and giving life to the church, is going to make sense of everything that we see in the Old Testament. And so that's why we say when we come to this text in Mark chapter 3 that we're entering into a new phase of the ministry of Jesus. That's the first big picture thing that I want you to see. The second big picture thing that I want you to see, and that's in verse 29, is the unforgivable sin. It's a, a point of discussion for a lot of people in the Christian faith. What is the unforgivable sin? Have I committed the unforgivable sin? And we come to this passage, and I think it's important that we understand from a theological perspective what this is and what this means. So Jesus has called the disciples to himself. And he encounters the Pharisees who come from Jerusalem. And what they're doing, and we saw in chapter 2, in the first part of chapter 3, all of the accusations that the Pharisees were making against Jesus and how hard their hearts were. And then they just take it to another level with our text this morning. And what they do is they attribute to Jesus demonic activity. In other words, they say the only explanation for why you are doing what you are doing is that you are from Satan. And Jesus' response to them is that that is the unpardonable sin. That is the unforgivable sin. Now let me give you a definition for that. The unforgivable sin is when someone willfully believes and sincerely declares that the ministry of Jesus is neither redemptive nor of the Father, but hear this, but demonic in origin. That is the unforgivable sin. 
that who Jesus is and what he has come to do is demonic. So the second part of this as a believer, we have to ask, can I commit the unpardonable, unforgivable sin? And the theological consensus of theologians in our tradition is no, you cannot. Because we understand that we come to faith through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our hearts and our souls. The Holy Spirit makes us alive. We talked about it last week. The Holy Spirit gives us a clean and a new heart. And that enables us to understand the grace of God. It enables us to come to faith. It enables us to believe. Right? That's what Jesus and the Father do through the Holy Spirit in us. And so if we have been transformed by the gospel of grace, if we have been brought to life by the Holy Spirit, we cannot commit this sin because our eyes have been opened and we understand, we see. Hear this quote by Abraham Kuyper. He's a very important and significant Dutch theologian. He says, No child of God could or ever can commit this sin. Such cruel spiritual distress may not be allowed. He who desecrates, despises, and slanders the Spirit, who speaks in Christ in His Word and in His work, as though He were the Spirit of Satan, is lost in eternal darkness. Great quote. Because it's a reminder that if we believe in Christ, that if if our eyes have been opened, this can't happen to us. We cannot attribute to the ministry of Jesus demonic activity, so we cannot commit the unforgivable sin. So those are, the, those are the two big picture things that I wanted to mention this morning as we begin looking at our text. But then there's three things that I want us to focus on, I want us to look at. These three things are brothers and sisters in Christ, meaning the church, brothers and sisters in life, meaning the family, And who is our stronger older brother? Who is our stronger older brother? So first point, brothers and sisters in Christ. So in verses 13 through 19, Jesus goes to the hillside and he calls the apostles to himself. As I said previously, he's establishing the new covenant church in his name. This is the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ under the new covenant. And so Jesus is calling them. He's going to commission them. We are learning and we are seeing in the Gospel of Mark that this is his church. That it is the church that belongs to King Jesus. He is the center of the church. Think about this. Being a part of the church, being a part of this community in Christ, we gather in His name for worship. He is mysteriously present rejoicing over us. We speak to Him through prayer. He comforts, encourages, and blesses us through His Word. He feeds us at His table. He sends us into the world in His name, accompanied by the ministry of the Spirit. This community belongs to him. And it's significant that we understand this because it's a place of refuge for us. That Jesus tells us to come and to be here and to be in his midst. 
that this is where in a very troubled life, in a very difficult life, in a very hard existence that we come to Him. This is the ark that carries us through the storm. That Jesus, through the church, is bringing us home. That we are His family. That there is an eternal significance to the church. That we will dwell with each other forever. That because he is our older brother, we are adopted into the family of God. We are brothers and sisters and we will dine with him for all eternity. That's significant for those of us who are on this journey that is challenging and it's hard and it's difficult. Here Ephesians 3, 18-21. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. Now you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or to think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. This, this is Jesus' church, and we see in this passage that he is establishing it. And we see later on in the passage, you look at verses 31 through 35, the people come to Jesus and they tell him, Hey, your family's outside. They need to talk to you. They need to see you. And Jesus says, Who is my family? Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister. And mother. In other words, Jesus says, I am the one who has come on behalf of the Father, and I am the one who will perfectly obey His will. And I am establishing something that is greater than the human family. I am establishing the family of God. And it will last forever. And the family of God, the church, is a beautiful place where we find Him, and we are in His presence, and it is all about Him. Yes, family is a significant theme. A significant thing. It's an important theme in Scripture. It is. You see the importance and the significance of family throughout the pages of Scripture. But what Jesus is saying in response to his family needing him, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, what he's saying to his apostles, what he's saying to his followers is that our ultimate purpose in life is to be in Christ. To find ourselves wrapped up in the one who obeys the will of the Father perfectly. The church is where we gather in His name. It's where He extends to us His grace and His everlasting love. We need this. We need this eternal community. We need to be together in the name of Christ. We rejoice that He has established the church. We rejoice that He came and He, he brought purpose to the church, that He corrected our mistakes, our sins. Jesus is everything. And He's saying to us in this passage that you will find fulfillment and purpose in Me. That I will make things whole. I will make things right. And so we're encouraged by that, that 
We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the church. We are His bride. And He loves us dearly. Second point. Brothers and sisters in life. Family. Look at verse 21. And when His family heard it, they went out to seize Him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. He is out of his mind. So I was talking with someone a few years ago, and they have a big family gathering every summer. I wanted to find out about it. I wanted to hear how it went. And they put pictures on social media, and when you read about it and you hear about it and you see the pictures, you just think, the perfect family. That they gather together, it's a, it's a very large family, they gather together in the summer, they go to the beach, they have Olympic games, they award a trophy that one side of the family holds on to for the year, they have cooking competitions, the children do a play where they make fun, they mock in a loving spirit, the, the parents and the grandparents in the family, the, one of the grandfathers does a t-shirt every year for the entire family. It just seems like the greatest family ever. And I wanted to hear all about it. And we meet. And he says, you know, it was good. Have a sweet family. We had a good time. But every year when I come away from the trip, I realize that we're just a bunch of sinners. And I stepped back and went, what? And he said, yeah, we, we have problems. And he began to share with me the problems that his brother has and the issues that his sister-in-law has with her family and some struggles that his dad was going through and some problems with his grandfather. And he just began to unfold all of these things that don't, it just doesn't show up on social media. And I walked away from that thinking, you're right. There is no perfect family because we're made up of sinful, fallen people. And here we have Jesus who has walked on this earth, has taken on flesh, and he understands this. His family is coming to take him away because they think that he's out of his mind. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? Why are you saying this? You're an embarrassment to us. Come on, Jesus. Get, get your act together. Fall in line. So Jesus understands what it's like for his family not to be perfect, to not understand that he is the Messiah. If you remember from a couple of weeks ago at Easter when we talked about the crucifixion, that Jesus had to watch his mother suffer. And that we talked about the fact that his brothers were not there. He's being crucified on the cross by the Roman government. And where are his brothers? They're nowhere to be seen. He has to ask one of the apostles to help care for his mother in their absence. We know that when Jesus was a child and he stayed behind at the temple, that it was very apparent that Mary and Joseph did not understand his calling. They didn't get him. 
We know that Jesus experienced death because Joseph disappears in the message of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, in the Gospels. He's no longer there. Jesus experienced the death of one of his family members. Jesus intimately knows the difficulties and strife and angst of being a part of a family, an earthly family. Jesus understands it more than us because he's coming from the throne room of heaven. He's coming from the place where everything is perfect, where he existed with the Father and the Spirit in perfection, perfect community, perfect love, And he comes to earth and he walks in this mess. And he experiences the travails of being a part of a family. Hey, Jesus, stop. Stop that nonsense. Come with us. We know better. Don't be foolish. And so as we live this life and we navigate the difficult terrain of being in a family we, we understand what it's like to have issues with our siblings and to have problems with our parents and to have difficulties within our own marriage. We know that family is hard. And that because we live in this sin-cursed world, that there will be significant issues and problems within the context of our family. It's not going to be like it should be. It's, it's going to be challenging. And so where do we go when we find ourselves in that that place? Where do we go when the picture that's on social media is not the reality? Where do we go when we're hurting and when we're confused and when things aren't the way they should be? When our family is a mess, we go to Jesus because he understands. We go to Jesus because he is perfect. We go to Jesus because He knows what we are going through. He understands. Here, Isaiah 41.10. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. This is Jesus. Yes, the prophet Isaiah wrote this, but this is Jesus. Remember, he is the word that has come in the flesh. And so when you face these family problems and these difficulties, you have to remember that Jesus is saying to you, I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. You're going through this for a reason. This is not outside of my plan. Whatever is happening in your family, because you are mine, because you belong to the family of God, because you are in the church and you have professed your faith in Him, Jesus is saying, I will uphold you. We learned last week that He is by our side. I mean, that's such incredibly good news in a hard world that Jesus is by our side and he's upholding us with his victorious hand. Hear Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He lifts us up by his victorious hand. He is by our side and we live in him. And as we live in him, we will find peace. Families can be unpeaceful things. 
Families can be hard. They can be challenging. And Jesus is in this place, His church, telling us the family of God, as you deal with your earthly family, I am with you. You are not going to have to do this alone. And that's a great encouragement to us as we go forward as His people. And then finally, Jesus is our stronger, older brother. Jesus is our stronger, older brother. Just continuing with the family theme here. The church is the family of God, the family that is rooted in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who makes sense of our earthly families. And he is our older brother. He is the strong man. This is Jesus. He will not disappoint you. When I was a child, WWE, back then it was called WWF, was coming to Birmingham, Alabama. I was in the, I believe, fourth grade. And apart from Hulk Hogan, my two favorite wrestlers were coming. Excuse me, wrestlers. Randy Macho Man Savage and Ricky, and I love this name, Ricky the Steamboat Dragon. They were coming to Birmingham and they were going to battle it out. And so my dad took me to see them. God bless his soul. And I had always watched wrestling on television. And spoiler alert, I thought it was real. I really and truly thought it was real. And I remember going, and we had great seats. I think we were sitting on the second row. The macho man comes out and faces off with Ricky the dragon. And it's the closest thing a 10-year-old boy can get to heaven. And they, they wrap arms, and they just go at it. As I'm watching this unfold, I realize they're not really hitting each other. He just threw three punches, and it missed his face by the by a quarter of an inch. Wait a second. I'm not sure this is real. And I look over at my dad and I said, Dad, I think, I think they're faking it. And Dad goes, oh yes, they are. And, and it was true that these two strong, bulky, beefy, muscular, athletic guys were in the ring fighting it out. And it was all fake. And so I, what was supposed to be the highest of highs for a 10-year-old, I, I just left disappointed. They didn't deliver. And so when we look at this text, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. They have accused him that all that he is doing is from Satan. And Jesus says, that makes, that makes no sense. Why would Satan cast out Satan? A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And Jesus talks about the strong man being bound so the house could be plundered. What a glorious illustration because in Jesus responding to the Pharisees, we see that He has bound the strong man. That He has entered the ring and there's nothing fake about what He has done. 
that He has come and He has conquered Satan. He has tied him up and He's plundered his house. He's knocked him down to the mat. He's pinned him for the three count. And He's taken the championship belt. It's mine. It belongs to me. So do you understand what Jesus has done? No, it's not attributed to demonic activity. It's because Jesus is the King of kings. And He has come and He has conquered Satan to deliver us into the family of God. We, because of our sin nature, because of our fallen status, we did not belong to God. We didn't want anything to do with Him. We had rebelled against Him. And Jesus comes and He wins the victory. He takes the belt and He brings us home. We have a stronger older brother. And that is great news for our souls. It's great news as those who belong to the family of God and as those who belong to eternal families that we have a champion, that we have a stronger, older brother who advocates for us, who defends us, who rescues us, who saves us, who makes everything right. The church will not be perfect until he comes again. The church is made up of believers and it's made up of unbelievers. That was the case in Israel. Our families are not perfect. They are also made up of unbelievers. But Jesus is the strong man. He is the champion. He is the one who is going to make everything right, both in the church and in life. And so we look to Him and we submit our hearts to Him and we love Him and we worship Him and we rejoice because He has all the answers. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You that You do have all the answers, that You are the champion, that You are the strong man who has bound Satan, who has plundered his house, that You have brought us from sin and death into Your kingdom. We thank You for the church which You have started, the church which You have give life to, the church where we find You and we are in Your presence. And Lord, we thank You for our families as well. You have been good to us despite our failures and our sin. And we rejoice. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.